Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 127 of the Chills at Will podcast. Lucky today to be joined by Raina Kelly. And Raina is vice president and editor-in-chief of Anscape, formerly The Undefeated, a Black media platform de dedicated to creating, highlighting, and uplifting the diverse stories of Black identity. She's also a former deputy editor at ESPN, the magazine. And Raina, that's a very short biography. There's so much in your bio, and we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, how are you today? I'm good. I'm great. Thanks for having me here. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. Good. Recovering after vacation, we were just talking about it before air. You know, it's, it's obviously a privileged thing. It's a good problem to have. But, you know, that trying to get that vacation after the vacation, you know? It's still exhausting, yes. Right, right. Yes, it's a good problem to have, but you're still tired. It's a yeah. good problem to have. But no, I really appreciate your, your time and I'm looking forward to talking to you. I'd love to know, you know, growing up, what you were into. I mean, were you a big reader from the beginning? Were you the library kid? Were you into sports? Were you all of the above? What? No, no, it yeah. was books. It was okay. books, 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 books. Mm -hmm. There's a quote from a movie. Um, and I, I didn't know this. I was an only, I, I am an only child, right? Mm, okay. So you know, it was a lot of like, you know, me time. And I read books like from jump. I think it's, I think of it as my, as I go, I went into journalism and then editing. I think of it as my superpower. So I was just uh. always reading like to the exclusion of almost everything else. <laughs> I know everybody always says that and they sound really pretentious, but I'm, I don't know what to say. I read yeah. it all the time. No, I no, feel no. like about my influence and stuff. Cause then I, that's okay. when it sounds good. Then I can prove it. All right. Well, no, pretension. Heck no. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I was my thing. No. Reading was my jam. Yeah. And is, I assume. Right. And is very right. much so. Yeah. All right. So were you in, I mean, were you, what were you reading? Were you in, what were you reading like way above your, your age level and your, your maturity level? Were you, I, what were I you mean, reading? I read those, but I also read like my favorite books. Mm -hmm were books where the, the sort of the heroine reminded me of myself, hmm. you know, in some way. So I love the Little House in the Prairie books because Laura Ingalls got in trouble and I got in trouble sometimes, <laughs> you know, and she was stubborn and I was stubborn and I loved Harriet the Spy and okay. Island of the Blue Dolphin. I just loved hmm. like, you know, all those books with strong female characters. And then, you know, I mean, the, and then, you know, I'm, and then just, I love a rollicking adventure. So Wrinkle mm. in Time, okay. you know, the Oz books, things like that. And then as I got older, adult fiction when you're young is not as much fun as advertised, right? Because it's hard. Mm. I remember <laughs> the first adult book I read was um, One, Flew, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sure. And it was like third grade. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. And I, I asked my mother, I, I, I turned to her and I said, what? <laughs> what is a lobotomy i didn't even know what it was and she said and she she's like what are you asking me and i said this is why i'm asking you this and she's like okay a you shouldn't be reading that and b this is what it is and sure. i didn't understand the end of the book so then when i found out what it was i burst into tears and then I, oh. the whole book becomes clear to me you know oh, what i mean yes, so, yes, yes. so after that i sort of I was leery of reading books way, way above my mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. grade level because it just, you know, I was like, I didn't want any more shocks to the system. Oh, that's a shock to the system. So have you gone back and reread uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yes. Still okay. heartbreaking, right? Okay. I mean, yes. you know, I mean, but a fantastic book. Sure. Right. I, I mean, an amazing novel, but I, I've got, I appreciate it now that I'm older and I can, you know, um, <laughs> I can understand it. 
Yeah, that's got it. Wow, that's that's pretty traumatic. Wow. Okay. Um, how about the the non-traumatic reading? What were you really, you know, choosing to read? You know, obviously there are things assigned in school and in, in high school, college, and on, but what were you really choosing to read? Or or what were you reading in school that really inspired you, thrilled you? You know, I mean, I had a set of standards, right? I I, I like I read the covers off of the Little House in the Prairie books, hmm. as I said, loved Little Women, Little Men. There's a Little um, Men. Uh, yeah, there's a Little Men, and then there's another. There's three. Okay. Little Men, Little Little Women, Little Men, and then there's a third one, Joe's something. Um, yeah, I was really into Little Women. Uh, did not understand. I mean, just and it's sort of just like these and I grew up with these books because again as an only child you mm -hmm. you I'm an only child well before social media when there I don't even want to say how many channels there were like <laughs> like saying there was you you grew up before electricity um but so you know what I mean so so reading was much more present and that's what piqued the imagination mm -hmm. and I just loved it just yeah. loved it. So it wasn't, I mean, it was lots. Harriet the Spy was huge for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I liked, I mean, I just, yeah, and I was like strong. I always love now as in, as then strong protagonists mm -hmm. who are like going somewhere and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? Just yeah. like adventures. That's what I like to be taken away. Sure. Like my imagination, you know, provoked or tickled. Okay, for some reason, it makes me think of Castaway, Tom Hanks. Are you a fan? Did he, did he, did he do things? Did he not do? You know what I mean? The whole movie's yeah. about him not really doing anything. Is, is yeah. that is that a likable protagonist for you? Yeah, actually, it is because he makes it really active, right? It's so funny. Yeah. I just I saw a video with him in it, uh, and he talks about the how he created Wilson. Hmm. um the, the the volleyball that he talks to in castaway and i love that part right because okay. it's like i love that thing like how would you actually get through what is sure. it that you would be craving have to have hmm. and of course you'd make companionship i just thought that was brilliant so huh. that's that's it for me like oh my god this is how this is a world an eye into a world i would never know otherwise yes you okay. know yeah it's, yeah yeah it's the thing I love and it's just, I fall into it every time, yeah. you know, every, I mean, every time. So obviously, you know, this time you're a journalist, you're an editor. I mean, that doesn't even begin to, 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 you know, completely describe you. What, what's the in-between? I mean, did you, as you got into high school, college, did you start to lean towards nonfiction narrative and that way, journalism, long form, you know, what, what was kind of your reading and writing journey as you got into college, I would say, you know? Weirdly, I, I wanted to be a playwright, right? So uh. I started in, in college in my early years, I wanted to be a playwright. Um, and then I went to study plays. I mean, so um, it was very drama-based mm -hmm. in college. And as a matter of fact, you know, I'm just, but because I was reading, you know, but also, but also I, it was when I, college is when I really began to take the news seriously. Okay. And it was when I realized, it's funny, this is a long time ago. My 30th uh, college reunion was like a few days ago. But, so long time ago. But um, it was like a thing, right? To read the paper, to be aware. Yeah, sure. And it was, you know, paper. And it was the first time I realized people had an opinion about the news they received. I just I, thought of it as a talking head, immutable sure. facts, da, da, da. and this was then. Um, and so that sort of negotiation and reading, I began mm -hmm. to find really fascinating too. And then also I discovered through magazines mostly mm. to start with Vanity Fair, long form journalism, that there were worlds out there even stranger than anything fiction could conceive of, right? And so- yes. Yeah, like I took a deep dive into, you know, long form journalism, still while being wanting to be a playwright, mm -hmm. moved to New York, try my hand at that. Listen, I didn't know, but there's only like only like eight people become playwrights like every decade. <laughs> um, so not for me. Uh, and then I went into journalism and then that's why it was long form, like to create these immersive reading experiences okay. that are true, but trigger the imagination. Wow. Yeah. So 
Okay, a couple of things. So you said 30 years. So wait, I know you're a, a prodigy, but you were like, what, six years old when you graduated? Yeah, college? right. I wish. Oh no, I, I mean, I went to oh college at a regular time. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So you, said, you said eight playwrights. That, that makes sense. There's what, like eight, eight billion people yeah. on earth, I think. Yeah, so exactly. Like, and out of that, eight of them every yeah. year get to be playwrights. That's that, it. That seems to make sense. So I'm thinking 30 years, I'm thinking 1992. I'm yeah. wondering, you talk about immersive, you know, and, and, and playwright and drama. Have you read, I hope I'm getting the title right, Twilight Los Angeles? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I saw Twilight Los Angeles okay. on Broadway um, when she, it was the year she didn't win the Pulitzer Prize because they didn't know if it was a play. Um, mm. She was robbed. So yeah, I've seen it. It's just, it's magnificent. Oh my gosh, I need to go back. I mean, it's been probably 15 or 20 years, but I still remember that, that, that text. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I read the text. I'm sure to be even more immersed oh, in seeing the play. It's like poetry, right? Uh-huh. The weird thing when you see it is mm -hmm. that you get riveted by her performance. And okay. so you're like, how is she doing all these voices? And how did she learn uh, all that uh, dialogue? And like you get you get caught up in the technicalities of a one-woman show that long and right. that talented. But when you read it, like I will I think that's a play that you you get just as much out of it by reading it. Yeah. Okay. Well, shout out to is it Anna Devere. Anna Devere Smith. Smith. Yeah. 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 She's amazing. Yeah. Oh and gosh. coming from the East Coast, mm. again, news being young, I didn't realize there were all these other points of view. I didn't even occur to me because where I lived, they wouldn't come up. You know, that from sure. Twilight Los Angeles is very much about particular Asian view of people who lived in that neighborhood. Mm. And since I came from a place where, where that was not cons like considered, I, you know, it's like when you realize diversity, every place is it's different kind mm -hmm. of diversity and they perform different functions. It's just really eye-opening moment for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you went to a little school called Yale, right? I did. I did. Yeah. Do, do we have any skull and bones things that you can share or? No, I am not getting up and walking out of the room because I can say with confidence. Okay. Uh, I am not in uh, skull and bones, but I, you know, I knew that, some well, people who were, or I knew some people okay. who allegedly were. Okay. I don't know, maybe loose lips sink ships. I don't oh, know. Oh, shoot. Well, that kind of sounds like something that somebody who. But I in... think I know where it is. Uh... Like if we were on campus, I think I could show it to you. That that They're sounds like something that, now. that sounds like somebody who is in school and bones or no, was. No, if say, I was, I would uh, never say any of this. You see what I'm saying? If I was actually in skull and bones, okay. I would be like much, I would be awkward and weird. Like, why are we talking about this? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. <laughs> don't those protest too much. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so I'd love to know. So I mean, you majored in drama? I majored in, in theater studies. Theater so studies, okay. It was English with was an English major okay. and my because uh, you followed like the sort of same curriculum, but your emphasis was on drama. Okay. So what how did that how did that um you know career path kind of kind of take shape um after that? I mean were you doing kind of odd jobs or were you going right into what you felt like you wanted to do or needed uh, to do? I mean I did uh, I mean I I don't know. I, I I feel like odd job doesn't really begin to cover it. I feel like <laughs> Maybe let's call it failure to thrive. Like I moved to New York and I was like, I don't, I, I, this is hard. Like being a playwright, it's, this is not what happened to Pinter. Like, I don't understand what's <laughs> happening. Um, and you know, I did a bunch of things. So I think this is probably the last economic period in time mm. when you could move to New York, get a job temping cause you could type okay. and you could live there in sure. Manhattan. Like oh, without right. having your bathtub in your kitchen. Like, you, I mean, you, it could be done, right? <laughs> okay. Um, and it just most certainly cannot now. So right. like, so then you could just, you, you, so I was just sort of figuring out what I wanted to do, right? Um, and then, you know, the world gets so big after you graduate from college and everything mm. you think you know 
you're like, maybe I don't know that. Maybe I don't want that. Maybe I want to do something else and everything's new and different and fun. So first it was playwriting. Then I thought I wanted to be an academic. So I went mm. back to school at NYU Gallatin for a while. Okay. Uh, always interdisciplinary. So it mm. always goes back. Mm. Um, and then I ended up sort of at Newsweek. And then this is when things get weird, right? Because I was not a trained journalist. I was a trained playwright, but I could write. Yes. And journalism is a skill, right? They, and the thinking was, we can teach you the journalism, which is true, they did. Mm -hmm. But the writing, and it was, you know, and it's true. And it's, you know, so I began to fall in love with the same kinds of things. Strong protagonists, da 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 mm -hmm. So I, you know, it was a long and winding road. I am most definitely not that person who's like, this is what I wanted to be. And I was working right. on it since I was three. That's not me. Yeah. But it was always about storytelling though. I can't, I, it was always about that. Always, you know, about reading, writing. That makes sense. It was just to get away from arithmetic. I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> know, but yeah. What you talked about having to kind of learn how to be a journalist. You had the writing chops, like how, I mean, how formulaic, I guess, is playwriting and journalism and or, you know, how, how can, how do they relate? Well, I mean, there are rules, right? So it's like, you sort of like, here's the basis, you know, like our right, journalism. The first one is, you know, don't steal other people's work, tell the okay. truth, sure. um, stick to the facts, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing, you know? Um, and so you learn things like, it's facts you think you know that are the facts you need to triple check. Hmm. Like you are convinced, right? Hmm. There are 24 hours in a day, hmm. according to the sentence as you wrote it. Sure. But for some reason, you got to look it up because it'll be like, but except in Australia where our story is set and uh, relevant. I mean, it's just so weird. Like, right. um, like fact checking, like, you know, and what, and what's a, and what, makes a fact true or false that and this is i could never remember you have to ask people their name you know where they're from their mm -hmm. age the sort of the basic mm -hmm. demographic information because you always have to put that right in the very beginning and mm -hmm. i used to forget that I used to always have to call people back and be like uh, how old are you yeah yeah <laughs> so it was like learning little things like that my editor would be like how old and i'd be like I don't know. Take a guess. Do you need to know their exact age or can I guess? <laughs> <laughs> like funny. that. So yeah, it was, yeah. It's like, and then it was learning the, you know, sort of like the POV that you have to take, mm. uh, which is why I promptly went into column writing because I couldn't take it. That neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of the biographical information about you, you know, talks about how you were, I don't know if you were directly covering like Barack Obama's election, but that, I mean, those were for political reporters, but I was sort of covering the societal hubbub Col around okay. it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, cultural criticism in quotes yeah. was, was kind of like your, your beat among many, like you said, interdisciplinary. Do you, can you even, I mean, and I say remember back that far, just because, you know, it's for everybody, not age wise, like yeah, yeah. how these 14 years have just been 30 with COVID with, you know, the, the, the death of objectivity, the death of truth because of Trump and all that, like, do you remember a truly like myopic or positive or optimistic time of 2008? Did you kind of see through it a little bit? I, I don't know. What are your kind of your memories of 2008? I, no, I didn't see through it. I, I can honestly say, if you, I mean, I, and I, I've gone back and read my work from that time. Uh -huh. You kind of want to like, literally you wince. It's very cringe. Cause you're like, who is this earnest? Earnest person who's so optimistic and hopeful and butterflies and unicorns are practically dancing mm -hmm. in the screen right mm -hmm. um i didn't see through it mm -hmm. at all and even when i did see through it you know every lash has a backlash mm -hmm. uh, i don't think that's the way you say it but that's the way i'm gonna say it. i get you i get you. um even when i i began to see through it you still don't i mean you still don't see it. You still don't, you, I still didn't see it coming, right? Mm. All the different forces that ended up in a world completely different than right. the one we were in, in 2008. I mean, completely right. different. Uh, I wish you were not right. I mean, that's a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful way to describe it and ugly, you know, ugly, all the ugly things that have happened. You're right. It's just like unimaginable, right? Oh man. 
Yeah, yeah. But then there are things about this world now that we live in that I like better. So, you mm. know, it's like when things were crystalline in my life, uh-huh. that was definitely the 80s, right? Um, things start to get, break apart and get interdisciplinary in the sure. 90s. In the 80s, everything was like clear, uh-huh. bright colors, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a heck of a inclusive world, right? It wasn't a world that recognized all its folks and people, right? So if you weren't, you know, sort of the, like if, if, the, if the world hadn't decided on you, good, bad, or indifferent, mm-hmm. then things were like a lot of people were lost in mm-hmm. those calculations. So I like now that you can sort of, that this, 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 I love this stepping on authenticity and being about who you really are and et cetera, Hmm. and et cetera. I like, I like that more. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Um, So, you know, I mean, that's a good transition into like, you know, I think it was, it was today or yesterday was today the 13th where, you know, poor James Patterson. I don't know if you heard about him. Yes. That poor guy, man. You know, he's, uh, I think it's something about 89% of, publishing in the last year or two was from white authors and he talks about how you know it's there's like a you know what he might say what reverse racism or you know it's very hard for a white man <laughs> apparently to get published poor guy i just keep saying it man um but i wonder you know about being a woman in a man heavy world and you know in publishing industry especially he's gotten into sports you know as a woman as a black woman i wonder what I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure it's impossible to, to sum up your experience in a couple of sentences even, but especially as you kind of started out in, in journalism and publishing, how you would describe your experiences. Well, I mean, one thing, one is that you never kind of like, it's hard to comment on the temperature of the water you're in. So it was mm. like, I, there wasn't, there wasn't a way, it's hard to believe that, but there wasn't a way of thinking that, what somebody else was experiencing was something that we now are very familiar with. We call mm. it privilege versus da, da, da. You just, mm. you just saw things differently, right? Like, uh, and in many cases it was, this is a hard gig for everybody and everybody has their own sort of individual mm. cross to bear. At least that's how I looked at it. Sure. Until I started getting into cultural conundrums around the intersection of race, gender and mass media Hmm. and then it became more about me anyway became more about figuring out why we were so sternly categorized in these things and 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 again going back to James Patterson I mean you know I it's in my I really believe that there is a lack of ability to express feelings right out there. And I am talking about a man, poor man with two books right now on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and I think he owns an island in Hawaii. That's not fact. That's off, you know. That's, okay, okay. Um, I don't, but he's, he, 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 but, but what he's feeling is not that things are impossible for <laughs> white men. What he's feeling is a feeling that I think white men have never felt before, mm. which is they're not, mm the center of the frame, right? Right, They've never felt like an other or anything like this idea that like, what should walk through the door, right? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that the hero would be anything other than white and male and straight um, just never occurred to a lot of white straight men. Mm -hmm. And so to move out of that light feels as if all the light in the room is gone. Right, 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 right. You know, and I just think it's hard. I mean, I'm just giving him, I'm giving James Patterson the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. because, you know, I mean, with a new push on these diverse voices out there and a new interest in things that are not just one POV, Mm -hmm. he's finding his way. He's doing, he's he's doing okay. Um, You know, you know, Um, but, but I think he feels he's never, why he's never had to feel threatened before and I think the size and scope of the threat is hard to describe but it comes from a feeling uncomfortable a feeling of Mm. me I'm Mm. on the outside looking in no that's Mm. never happened that doesn't you know Mm. what I mean yes 
and yeah. a discomfort with it and a, and a not know and people get very you know emotional mm. angry when they feel that cognitive dissonance and they try to make sense of it and i think it's hard to find the right words and you mm. stumble and you make mistakes but i also that's also i mean i don't know what's happened since he said it but i also think that's where you can have like really constructive conversations sure if you're not too mad to like talk to people, you know? Yeah. Twitter's probably not the best place to have those no, conversations. <laughs> probably not. Probably but, not. <laughs> but, but yeah, you're, thank you. You're very, you know, you're very charitable, Mr. Patterson there. So, you know, um, when you moved on to ESPN, the magazine, the you, you eventually became deputy editor, right? Yeah. What, you know, for the layman, what does that, the lay person, what does that mean exactly? I mean, you know, edit, I'm always so interested in like the, you know, he's a senior writer. He's a junior writer. Oh, yeah, writer. the layers. You know, yeah. like, like, was there like a press conference when so-and-so was like, went from junior writer to senior writer? Was it two and a half years, you know? What's a deputy no, but it feels editor? like, I mean, it, feel, it feels like you want there to be. But, you know, as a, a deputy editor, you're sort of editing bigger stuff okay. and editing things that is, have already been edited, right? So when you're a beginning editor, okay. you are one step away from writing it. In many cases, you are writing it and editing it, passing it on. Mm. And everything goes through a layer of okay. um, editing all the way to the top, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then it goes on its way through the printing system, mm -hmm. but it's like, and then, you know, sort of like there's the first editors, line editors, and then there's another set of editors mm -hmm. and those were senior editors and they're all, it's all a little different too. Mm -hmm. um, then there are senior editors who sort of closely edit the story. Mm -hmm. And then as you get higher up in the hierarchy, it's more about looking at it from treetops or mm -hmm. from, you know, anything glaringly weird or libelous or something like that sure. or how this reads a little flat i'm not sure our audience you know we're much meant to be much more about audience and audience engagement mm -hmm. or this reads a little our audience would like a little what if we right. did a little you know like that that's what we did and then we said oh! or things like let's do a whole magazine about mental health uh-huh you know or let's okay. do uh, a whole night, you know, those kinds of things. Like, it's like big ideas that you don't actually have to completely execute yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I thought we were about to play uh, Mad Libs there. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Let's, we, can, we can take a few minutes. No. Exactly. <laughs> how, how do you, I mean, this is not just for you, it's been the magazine, this is Anscape, this is everything you've done. Like, how do you keep the writer's voice? How do you keep the writer's autonomy? Yet at the same time, you know, you're an editor, you know, your stuff, like, how do you, how do you balance that? Um, I mean, obviously I know by the, you know, a writer for ESPN, the magazine or Anscape, like they're not easily, they hopefully are not precious enough to say, oh my God, you know, don't ever touch anything I do. But, you know, writers, a lot of things, a lot of things are personal to writers and, you know, we're all, you know, all professionals in that way. So just a long way of asking, yeah, how do you balance that idea of like, okay, there, there's an objective in some way, you know, there's an objective truth in some ways of what needs to be said here or grammar or whatever, but also like keeping the writer's voice. Well, it's interesting, right? So, I mean, I'm just going to throw out maybe a belabored example, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's remembering that you can get there more than one way, right? Mm. So say you're, this is a story about making spaghetti, right? And you have to put water on the stove and you have to turn the heat on and then you get the water to a boil and then the water is hot. You're not going like to salt the water though? You are. I'm going to salt the water. Okay, I'm not going to okay. put olive oil in it because I don't think that's the right thing to do. Okay. But I'm going to describe the water as hot. The water is hot. Very hot. Sure. Boiling hot. Sure. There's more than one way to do that, right? So then it's like a dance, right? Like mm -hmm. how are we going to get across that, you know, what are we trying to get across mm -hmm. that we're trying to make water that's excellent for spaghetti or this water is so hot because it's about to fall and do, you know what I mean it's like mm -hmm. you have to negotiate and I think the first thing I had to realize is oh yeah 
For me, the word is scalding. That's it. Why would you use any other word? But that's not, it doesn't match the rhythm. It's yeah. not in the writer's voice. Like you just have to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have to truly collaborate. Mm-hmm. It's but you fa- also, it helps to work with the writers. Like I'm down with that too, right? Um, who says, I really mean this. Yes. Yeah. As opposed okay. to that. And then you have something to work with. Um, but no, it, it, it's just that knowing you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Mm-hmm. Some things are just not worth fighting about because it's important to the writer. And is it important to you? Or do you just want to win, right? And getting all that emotion out of it. Right. And what does the best service to the story? That's what I'm always, you know. Okay. Um, talking about like what serves the story best. What's, um, I mean, maybe the most important question of our conversation, Oxford comma or no? I am an Oxford comma girl. Thank you. Thank you. I am. You. I am. I am. And I'm like, but I, I'm kind of, yeah, but I, you know what? I, I just insist upon not getting upset about that. Fair enough. I can't. I, I just, I can't. There's yeah. just too many things in the world to like actually genuinely, I, like I can't, I had to let that go. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, so like, I mean, a big part of working for ESPN, the magazine is we haven't talked about sports. I mean, did you kind of like, oh, okay. Like writing is writing and cool sports are cool. Or, are you, I mean, are you a big sports fan? Did you play? I was a, a big going football out? fan. I am a big football fan. Uh-huh. I became like a much bigger sports fan of other sports. Okay. Kind of happens with osmosis. Sure. But I, as it turns out, when I moved from Newsweek to ESPN, the magazine, you have to go to interview and you have to show your clippings and your mm-hmm. interests. I had written quite a few stories that were focused on sports culture and they were okay. looking to widen their storytelling outside the exit. Well, they had already mm. very successfully done that, but they mm. were looking to further widen outside of X's and O's. Mm. And I was very much coming from, look, I don't know why it is. It just is what it is. Sociologists or theologists or someone will have to tell you, but sports is a riveting thing for humans and lots of lessons and things like that, mm-hmm. like walk through those doors. So sure. even if you're not a sports fan, mm-hmm. it would behoove you to follow sports for some of the most monumental moments right. in, you know, uh, in the world, right? George mm-hmm. Floyd is a reckoning. Right. They call everyone calls it a reckoning, right? That word. But that word, because I was you know covering it, right? That word didn't it didn't land on the moment on day one. It built and it didn't actually become a reckoning until the day the NBA players decide we're not gonna play. Mm. And then then oh, oh, so it's like those mo- those those sports moments that mean something, you know, else. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's like drama inside drama inside drama. It's the best storytelling. Sure, I love it. Sure, yeah. Who were some of the sports writers who, back then or now or both? Who who do you really you know? Because the great the greatest quote unquote sports books and articles are not just about sports. You know, who were some that really have inspired you, or maybe even the pieces themselves, the the, the articles, the essays. Well, I mean, if, 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 I mean, I would, there's a collection called Year's Best, there's Year's Best Everything, right? Sure, sure. There sure. is, Glenn Stout does a Year's Best Sports Writing, and I would very much, re- I mean, yeah, you have, it's on, okay. It's on my bookshelf. I, I, yes. I, got, I got the best American sports writing of the century right there. Okay, because one thing I learned as an editor is you cannot a particular writer, I can't name three, I can't name four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have edited dozens and i i work with dozens now and it will mean something that i did mm. and i will be mortified so i'm actually that's the one question can you believe that that <laughs> i am not gonna answer because i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings I'm i got gotcha. you that um but that that being said years best of you know the great sports writing you'll see so many of those stories are not about what's happening on the field. No. A lot of them are like, what is happening in a person that make them capable of doing these things? And all these non-sports factors that are related to, I don't know, it's just the metaphor is baked right in for some reason. It's right. Just, it's just really, it's just really, 
appealing storytelling, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, also the game itself has its natural dramatic um, and you never know. And it's one of the last moments of spontaneity, weirdness. Mm -hmm. You don't know how these things are gonna end. Mm -hmm. Things in life that we have right now in a changed world as we sure. talked about. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be silly to say there was no political activism in like the 80s and 90s, you know, like, I mean, there was, of course, like Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Roof. I mean, there's so many. But I, but I wonder about like your timing and coming into ESPN, the magazine, the undefeated landscape. Obviously, maybe social media is part of it. You know, there have been a, there has been a lot more social activism, LeBron and Kyrie, except for his vaccine stuff. And, you know, um, obviously Colin Kaepernick, et cetera. I wonder, like, have you seen that huge rise in activism um, stemming from what, what that stems from? Do you think it's more just about there's more exposure, the combination? I think it stems from the, the way the world changed is sort of the way inter entertainment was made and parsed, including, of course, social media, mm -hmm. but then also the way the money began to move it's the player empowerment movement, mm. right? When you are part of a team and the power sort of flowed from the team down, right. you weren't sort of individualized. That began to change as, as players took on their own brands and their own interests and did it. And it just sort of, it started small mm -hmm. and then it grew, grew big. I mean, obviously LeBron is the greatest example of that, right? Um, a man and then i think as it began it gets bigger right and, and mm. it has unexpected consequences and you learn things and then it becomes more focused mm. um and then it becomes really interesting right mm -hmm. so if you look at colin kaepernick and the response of teams versus what happens after george floyd is murdered like it it's very different and that's walking through sports and 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 players and so mm. i don't know it's just I think a lot of it is the players themselves changed how they themselves looked mm -hmm. at themselves in the game. And then also just individual economics changed, right? You could make money on your own brand right. because of social media or all these other things. And it changed the way people thought about employers and employees. It was like a collision of things. Hmm. To sound right. a little bit Marxist on there. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, well, that makes sense. And Transitions into one of your quotes or from some biographical information is that um, you were with ESPN, the magazine, a senior editorial leadership team member responsible for successfully merging ESPN's print and digital content units under one umbrella. One of the themes, it seems like, of our conversation is that, you know, you always you've been so interested in so many different things, interdisciplinary. Right. Um, so, again, like you talk about like a. I don't know, Zenith or Apatheosis. I don't know if I'm using that term, right? You know, where the magazine, the print magazine went down in favor, went down in, in coverage, right? Versus, you know, digital. So I, I guess I wonder about how much you felt a natural need to, you know, move more into digital, move ESPN, the magazine, et cetera, into a more digital world. How much you felt that that was a, the creative way to go and how much of it was was kind of instigated by the world around where newspapers and magazine, uh, you know, readership was going way down. Well, I mean, I think we all wanted to be where the eyeballs were, right? And at this, at that time, which is a sort of specific time when, you know, dot-com and print were merged things, mm -hmm. it was the beginning of, well, there's room for everybody, right? There, there's these, these, you know, we'll, we'll, well, if you, will go where your eyes are, right? Sure. So, um, and ESPN always has that ethos, right? Wherever sports fans are, that's where, where we'll be. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also getting people used to the idea that what you read in a magazine, people would also consume digitally, mm -hmm. right? At the same time, it wasn't just listicles and right. it wasn't just um, 450 word hot takes. And it wasn't just, mm -hmm. you know, you could get in, like uh, digital was a whole meal, right? You could mm -hmm. get everything. It was before we recognized we will be at first immersed in screens forever. But back then it was as if we, you know, we lived in a 2D, 3D world. Um, no conception of the metaverse. We would have to make room for both. Um, so it, you know, it was a, it, it, 
it boiled down to a lot about people are not going to pay attention, but it also boiled down to, again, storytelling. Mm -hmm. If you wrote a great story and it, that story took 20,000 words to tell, then people would read it online. Sure. Not so sure that's true now because it's like, I'm not so sure that's true now. Huh. Um, I think shorter is, I think, but it depends on what you're looking for. Right. If you're looking, you know, you, you know, if you're looking for millions and millions of hits, but I think there's always going to be an appetite out there for every kind of story. And you mm -hmm. just have to remember that. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and also you have to be inclusive. So if you're telling a story about make this up, I'm just going to name somebody Tom Brady. Ah, right now. But say you're doing the rise of the black quarterback, which is something that we did. It starts as coverage by Jason Reed. This year is after Colin Kaepernick. It's all these black quarterbacks in the NFL, how is that possible? What's happening? We sort of begin with on the ground coverage. That's short, pithy, um, suitable for digital. Then you get longer and you allow people to rabbit hole with your mm. own coverage. Yes. So you do the work from short to long and you people, I mean, and people will go where the story is, takes right. that. You know, oh, if they want cool. more, they'll get more. Yeah, I love that image of the rabbit hole within, within your own work. That's yeah. great. Right. Yeah, that's what we, yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what we were building, right? Mm -hmm. The Undefeated, the name is, is based on the a Maya Angelou quote, the great Maya Angelou. I wonder what um, what drew you to the undefeated at first, and kind of like its mission, and how that that dovetailed with what you're what you're all about. More th that exact question, like what what is it about this intersection of sports and race and culture, especially in America, that is so resonant, that is so mm. crackling, right, mm -hmm. and alive, and and right there at the nexus of what of a changing world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you never know the world's changing, but that's what it was doing. And so that's what we began to reflect, mm -hmm. you know, and and now I'm coming out on the other side of COVID, Anscape is different than Undefeated, not hugely, but sure. different in that now it has an even wider gaze. So looking okay. at how all these demographics with specifically black that we talk about mm -hmm. intersects with the world from a black POV, um, it just, again, it's crackling to me. It's alive. It's not something that you read every day. It's something, and I think it's something that hits at a lot of the various, obviously, um, traumas and, and difficulties and, and problems and victories that we have had, mm -hmm. um, especially uh, in America. I say especially in America only because I'm American and I've lived it in America. I see. Um, I don't mean to, you know, but again, going back to things like 1619, America has this dance that is embedded in the very founding. It's very founding hmm. and it's never been able to quit it. I, I got to think that you have like really um, like in-depth, like metrics and analytics, like how much, do you know how much of like your readership is, is white or not black? Or, I mean, do you, do you have all those numbers? And, and I, that's like I mean, I don't have them precisely. And I really don't have very accurate numbers since we switched names. Cause mm. we're just trying to figure that out. Actually, sure. I'm going to have a meeting about that tomorrow, <laughs> but our audience has always been, you know, a healthy percentage of white as well, because our audience comes from, in the beginning, it came from ESPN. Mm -hmm. And ESPN, you know, has, but also over-indexed for black. So we always okay. had a very diverse audience, which is something we've been very grateful for, and which also pushed us to be diverse, but also pushed us to, you know, sort of redefine the inclusion. like. Mm -hmm. It's a black POV. It is not only for blacks. You know what I mean? So it was like fine tuning voice and things like that, you know, to make it welcoming, but also not to make it too welcoming and too you know, explanatory, things mm -hmm. like that. So it's a matter, matter of measuring constantly. Well, so, oh, right, right, right. 
the um, you know, like you know, the storytelling keeps coming up and the undefeated and and Anscape have done such a great job with different types of storytelling. I got to think it was a sort of dream where you, in some way, you merged with Hamilton when you were with. Oh, we did a we did a we did a Kelly Carter hosts um show on YouTube uh-huh. and on site uh, another act Queen of um Black Hollywood. She did a Zoom show special uh to note the premiere of Hamilton on Disney plus. And so uh-huh. she met with all the cast members and Kale and of course, Lynn Manuel. And, 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 and we just talked about that moment and that yes, very much a dream come true, but also speaks to like how Anscape could begin to cover all across all right. those stories that were inside the Walt Disney Company instead of just, and I don't mean just, right. but instead of only ESPN. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, we, I mean, we talked about this a little bit already, like just the placement of Anscape within the world of 2022, where, you know, you've got Laura Ingram and some of the others saying, you know, just shut up and dribble. Like you talked about more player em- empowerment, um, you know, post George Floyd, the, the sitting out of the one game, and you know, Colin Kaepernick, hope he gets a shot with the Raiders, et cetera. Do you, do you feel like, um, so I guess why, or how is Anscape different than in 2022 than the undefeated was two and three years ago? What, what, tell us, tell us about the name change as well. Like what Anscape means. Well, Anscape just means, you know, instead of, you know, we have a undefeated was very much about sports, the intersection of sports, race, and culture. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to widen that. So we just needed a bigger name for a bigger scope. It's sure. Basic issue. But what changed from undefeated to Anscape is that rather than be about, um, you know, who is defeated, who is undefeated based on what metric, which direction are you looking at? The world became very much about my own authenticity, right? And this is how I see it. And everybody being different and not people being reduced demographics. And so we wanted people to be about their ants, right? And so we wanted to write, and from a Black POV, because we think that that is unique, right? And something that's missing, um, and that's who we are, a Black POV on Black and everything. All those different things that when you're having discussions about black versus white as a binary, you can't have, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you, you can, in many are stuck having six or seven different kinds of conversations and you're ignoring the wide swath of brilliance and fun and, mm-hmm. and, and just, just delight there is in black life. Right. You're constantly focused on the fight on racism and it begins to drain some of the color from black storytelling, mm. you know? So we're seeking to put that back in. I got to think it's, I got to think it's living the dream, right? Where it's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like black POVs, plural, right? I mean, you're yeah. really, with Anscape, you're really talking about like, like, well, so like your fellow Yale alumnus, alumna, um, Disha Filia, right? Mm-hmm. You know her her great short story book, her short story collection. Like there aren't non-black characters, right? There are all kinds of different black characters in her book, right? You know, what insecure. You know, it's 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 not Eurocentric, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and just you know the idea that the, the diversity within. Right? Yes. Yes. And, yes. Yes. And that everyone is a, like the the fact taking very seriously and to heart the idea that black is not a monolith. Hmm. Um, even if you're using, you know, black as the tool that you're using to, you know, fight racial injustice, it's still, you're still not representing a block, you know, hmm. these are real people. I've, I've heard and read a lot of, you know, people of color saying things like, you know, that like, I'm expected to be the one voice for, you know, Indian Americans, I'm expected to get everything right, you know? And seem, that's what Anscape does so well is that like there's so many different ways. Well, shoot, look at just a couple of samples from this week or what's up like today. You have the great Dart Adams from, from Boston. The article is quote, why it's called why black folks can root for the Celtics can root, <laughs> right? You've yeah, got yeah, to, yeah. That's bringing a different hand <laughs> there. You've got Broadway's MJ, obviously for in this case, Michael Jackson zooms in <laughs> on his genius while neglecting his abuse. 
And you know, another one, another one is the way we're talking about Lori Harvey and Michael B. Jordan exposes a bigger issue. And it's just like, I mean, right there, just even those three articles just show so much diversity of, like you said, the intersection of you know, culture and race. Yeah, and I, like I guess the a diversity of thought, right? Mm. Just representing a diversity of thought. There's so much coulda, woulda, shoulda mm -hmm. uh, in how you cover these issues. And we just wanted to break free of that, you know? What's coming up? Um, you know, Anscape is has set itself, you know, apart from the undefeated in, in good ways as undefeated had laid such a great foundation. What do you hope to do with Anscape um, as well as I guess, personally, what are some goals? Just get bigger, right? Yeah. So we're launching Anscape books next oh, year. I mean, okay. next month with Disney publishing and our first book by Jason Reed, the rise of the black quarterback is mm. coming out on August 2nd. And then, you know, that's an imprint. Okay. Um, we're launching uh, Anscape Music. We're in the middle of creating some EPs, and that wow. one's coming out in the fall. Um, we've done some vinyl, you know, some original work, and then Anscape Studios, right? So that's mm. all about taking this mindset, this kind of storytelling, mm -hmm. and transferring it to the big and little screens, right? Fiction, okay. nonfiction, um, but just all the ways that we tell stories across. Mm -hmm. The Walt Disney Company is how yeah. Anscape wants to be present in its, you know, where Anscape wants to put its mission. I heard there's going to be an Anscape ride at Disneyland. No. Oh my God! See, you <laughs> laugh, but I—that's a dream. One day, one day. Okay. Okay. How <laughs> not to make that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I just—I uh, really appreciate your time so much. Um, I've loved reading you know, all the work through Undefeated and Anscape. Um, and like I said, just love talking to you. I love your, uh, your passion and your fervor. I got to think that you'd be um, just a great person to work for, work with. And I wish you just great luck in the future. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It's so great talking to you. Good talk to you too. What a pleasure it's been today to speak with Raina Kelly. Continue good luck to her with her writing, her editing. I'm so looking forward to following her career. You can now subscribe to this podcast on Apple and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Although we try to kind of down, downplay those last two, Spotify and Amazon Music these days. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. And I'm so sorry. Please, if you would, share your uh, any contact info or social media info. Where can we reach you? Uh, at Anscape across all the social media. I mean, that's follow, follow, follow at Anscape. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I always ask when you say all social media, you mean TikTok also? TikTok too. Really? We're there at Anscape. Nice. Of course. Yeah, of all course. Where, where all the ads are. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation. And I love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental Version. And the other song played on this episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. And both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 128 with Vanya Patino. Vanya is a news reporter for KERO-TV in Bakersfield, California, a former reporter for KFDA in Amarillo, Texas, and a former standout student in my English 10 Honors class. This is going to be quite a treat for me to speak with Vanya. The episode airs on June 21st. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers and editors with mad skills like Raina Kelly, whose work, like Anscape, gives you chills at will.